If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 4, we're going to jump back into a sermon series that we began right before Christmas in the Advent series. Uh, and we, the sermon series in Acts is called Foundations. As a new church, we're looking to the early church to kind of glean some things of like, what needs to be a part of our DNA? What do we got to make sure that we have here that will give God glory, that we really can make sure that we are a church that's pleasing to God? And so again, we started this journey. Uh, we took a little bit of a break for Advent and Christmas has come and gone. Has Christmas come and gone faster than ever? I don't know about you, but I, I, it's over. I mean, what, what happened? A blink of an eye. I usually can tell how quick a season went on. It was what shows and movies I was able to watch this year and which ones I didn't. I mean, I'm telling you, I was like, over. I missed Elf all season, never watched it once. Missed Christmas Vacation. How do you miss it? Missed Charlie Brown's Christmas. And I miss what I think might be one of my favorites, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. How do you miss all those? I don't know. Anybody see all of them? Anybody get that whole trifecta? Anybody see any of those, I hope? All right, a couple of you. That's, that's awesome. Well, I love The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. And again, uh, what was The Grinch's issue? I mean, what would it be a part of The Grinch that would make him want to steal, for goodness sake, Christmas in Whoville? Who would want to do such a thing? What was the Grinch's issue? Anybody remember? The noise, noise, noise. Well, the noise, noise, noise bothered him. But somebody said over here, he had a heart problem. The Grinch had a heart problem. When the Grinch apparently had a heart that was two sizes too small. And because he had a heart that was two sizes too small, it made him act like, well, like a Grinch. But when the Grinch's heart grew, and it was going to grow three sizes, when he understood the true meaning of Christmas, when grace came into his heart, if I can use that expression, the Grinch found strength of ten Grinches plus two. You see, when the Grinch had a change of heart, he had a radical change of behavior. The Grinch went from hating the Christmas story to be the leader in celebrating the Grinch, uh, the Christmas story. The Grinch went from being a part of this, a loner uh, with that really cute dog, uh, to being a part of community and the power of being in community. See, what that points to is something so much bigger. The gospel produces in us the good news of what Christ has done for us. It's powerful news. It's like the power of God. And what it does, it produces in us is a radical change in heart. As a matter of fact, Scripture will say it's so radical, it gives us a new heart. A radical change in heart will lead to a radical change in our life story. Our life, if the gospel comes into our life, takes a radical change. We now have meaning and joy. We also start seeing ourselves as a part of a bigger story. And it changes us to a radical community. It brings us into a community with one another. This morning, we're going to see uh, what happens when the gospel is preached with great power. This is what's happening in the early church. The apostles are preaching the good news. And what they're preaching is this. Jesus is alive. 
I mean, they, they walked with him for three years. They saw him do a lot of amazing things. They, they were unbelievably disappointed and quite couldn't understand the cross. But when he was resurrected from the dead, and in the book of Acts will say, when Jesus spent like 40 days hanging out with the disciples, telling them about the kingdom of God, their whole world was changing. And they, they received this power from God of the Holy Spirit, this power of God that was like dynamite in their lives. And it would change everything. And what they was doing is that they were preaching the good news of the gospel. I love this. With great power, what was produced was great grace. Great grace. Grace of God, this unmerited favor. The grace of God that it wasn't about religion. It was about relationship. That Jesus was enough. And this, this great grace changed their hearts. It changed everything. And it produced an incredible unified community of believers. Okay, so let me give you, that's a little bit of background, but let me give you a little background to the book of Acts because it's been about a month since we jumped in. Jesus has been resurrected and he's empowered his disciples. Now remember the disciples, right when he was killed, these were guys that were terrified. These were guys that would run away and deny him. And now that he was resurrected, he's going to empower them with the Holy Spirit and empower them to bring good news of the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And God was going to empower these broken fishermen and, and tax collectors. And now with the gospel and the Holy Spirit, they're going to just bring a huge change. The world is changing. And it's beautiful. And still, we're seeing that beauty today. But what recently happened was John and Peter or Peter and John. It's interesting. Every time scripture lists Peter, he's always first. Hmm. Something about that guy with an ego, I guess. Let's uh, relate to that because I'm Peter and I always want to be first. But Peter and John, Peter and John, they go into the temple. And as they go into the temple, there's typically, you see this in a, in a gathering of people. They're, the lame are often l l right by the door. So they're kind of asking for handouts. And so Peter and John go into the temple. And they see this guy and he has been in a terrible condition since birth. He's never walked. He's always been there. As a matter of fact, the only way he could get there is to be carried by some friends and drop there. And hopefully he'll get some handouts. And he looks at uh, John and Peter as they're walking in. And Peter fixes their eyes on that, him and says, hey, look at me. Listen, I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold. But what I have, I'm going to give to you. And what I'm going to give to you is in the name of Jesus. And he says, I'm going to give you healing. And he pulls the guy up. I mean, a guy who never walked. All of a sudden, I mean, it's been 40 years, Scripture will tell us. All of a sudden, he's up, he's healed. And, and if, if, you, if you were there... And if you were there at the temple and, and you were there and you saw this guy and you knew that he was kind of always there. And now all of a sudden you see him walking around. I mean, the buzz in the temple. I mean, it, it, people were like, what in the world? Is this the guy? There's like, he can't be the guy. He looks like the guy. But I mean, we know that guy. That guy's legs didn't work. I mean, now he's leaping around. He's jumping up and down. This can't be the guy. And there was such a stir that the religious people found out. They thought, what's going on in here? Like, well, it's Peter and John in the name of Jesus. They're healing this guy. You know, when you have earthly power and God's power comes in, earthly power gets afraid and they didn't like it. And they didn't like the fact that, that somebody, something new, this gospel had come. So they tried to shut him up. So they took Peter and John, they threw him in prison. They threw him in prison at night. And they, but they said, you know, I don't know what we're going to do because we can't deny this miracle. I mean, everybody's seen it. What do we do? Okay, here's what we're going to do. We'll bring him in and we'll rebuke him. And we'll tell him, never again speak in the name of Jesus. Never again may you talk about this Jesus. And their response right away is like, hey, I know you're like religious leaders, but 
Judge for yourself. Should we listen to you or should we listen to God? And we, what Jesus has done in our life is so amazingly radical. I mean, he's forgiven our sins. He's made us new. And, and, and we're, we're the ones who denied him and deserted him. No, no, no. We can't help but talk about Jesus. I mean, he's so incredibly changed our life. We're, we're going to do it. Judge for yourself. So that's kind of where we pick up the story. Uh, it's, it's in chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 23. And uh, Peter and John are going to come back and they're going to talk to the disciples and the rest of the church uh, and tell them what had happened. So we're going to look at verses 23 through 37. And in this, um, they're going to quote Psalm 2. And we'll look at that later in the service. But hear the word of God. This is an incredible story. Lean in to God's holy and errant word. When they were released, again, Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God saying, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and they're going to quote Psalm 2, Why did the Gentiles rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly this city there, they, there were gathered together against you. Holy servant, your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your service servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders and performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but that they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They were preaching the gospel, essentially. And great grace was upon them all. There, were not, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought their proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Now, Father God, we thank you for this incredible story. And God, it just can feel so long ago and so ancient that it doesn't always relate well to our story. But because this is your story, and because this is from your living word, this is to be our story. And so God, would you come and would you be teacher? Would you be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me so that God, we can understand 
each one of us, what do you have for us today? Oh God, give us ears to hear your voice. Oh Father God, would you give us minds to understand your word? Would you give us hearts that would embrace your truth? And would you give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name? The God, the things that I say that are just merely my opinion are wrong. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news, the powerful news, the grace-filled news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your Son, our Savior? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. We're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at the reality that uh, God's grace, we're going to see that God's grace as we see ourselves in God's story. The grace of knowing the Lord's sovereignty and the grace of being in gospel community. The first thing is this, the grace of seeing yourself as a part of God's story. Do you see it? Is your life a part of God's story? What we know about life from scripture, what we know about life from our own experience is that life is a battle. Is it not true? You and I are in a battle. Life in this world is going to be a struggle. You don't have to be here very long to realize this is a broken place. Life is hard. It's a struggle. We have to remind ourselves, and scripture will help us see this, that everything about our lives has been affected by a curse. The curse of sin and the fall. There's nothing in your life, nothing in your life that hasn't been affected. Listen, beyond that, there's nothing in the cosmos, according to God's word, that hasn't been affected by the fall of man, by man's rebellion of sin. It, it sent a curse, the shockwaves over all things. Everything has been affected. Everything you love has been wounded by the curse of sin. Everything. Everything you love has been wounded by the curse of sin. We were made according to God's story for paradise. And we keep thinking that maybe we can find our best life now. And maybe we can find paradise here and now. But let me remind you, we live in a broken world. And in this world, you're going to have trials. In this world, you're going to have suffering. But there's going to be some hope there. You see, what I love what the apostles were doing is they were suffering right away for proclaiming the good news of Jesus. They were suffering in the temple. They were going to be suffer, suffer to the Gentiles. They were going to suffer. Many were going to give their life for the gospel. So how in the world can they live their life and a life of suffering, a life of battle, a life of longing, and not just have a life of despair? Well, they looked at their situation through the lens of Scripture. We need to, too. Listen, they looked at their life through the lens of Scripture. They, they looked at their life, and there was an overarching meta-narrative. There was an overarching story of God's redemptive story in Christ Jesus. They realized that they were a part of God's story. And I love it, because here's what they're going to do. Watch this. this. This event happens to them. They're being persecuted. They're being told not to do something. And immediately their response was, quote, Scripture. And not just for the relief of that, but to see, hey, God said this would happen. God tells us that we're going to be a battle. This is, this is not a surprise. I love the fact that as they saw their lives was not just their little stories, not their little lives. They were a part of God's bigger story, God's bigger narrative. And seeing their story and God's story gave them perspective. It gave them power and it gave them hope and understanding. So what they immediately did is, is, is quote Psalm 2. Let me hit pause. As a pastor, I so long for this for you and me. 
I just know that life is such a hard struggle sometimes. Through our health, through our circumstances, through our kids and our loved ones. I mean, every day we need mercy. Every day we need grace. Why? Because every day we're reminded of brokenness. The mirror tells us. The scales tell us. Our bosses tell us. The world tells us. It's hard. And as a pastor, if you just see your little story as the whole story that's all about, you're going to long for another story. You're going to want to numb the pain. You're going to get addicted to something. You're going you're to go look for love in somebody's arms that you shouldn't go look for. You're going to run because you just say, why am I so broken? And why am I so needy? Why is the story so incomplete? And the beautiful thing about the gospel and the power of grace is it shows you that your life is a part of a bigger story. And as your life is a part of a bigger story, it just shapes everything. It brings hope to everything. So what they did is it's interesting. When they responded, uh, they, they prayed and they're going to look to Psalm 2. Now I'm going to read to you Psalm 2. It's not a long psalm, but I want you to hear this. Now remember, this was written a long time before Jesus. Now, they're going to quote this psalm and say, well, this was clearly Jesus. He is the anointed one. He is the only begotten son. He is the son that we need to kiss. So they're going to quote that in Acts chapter 4. But listen to the words of Psalm 2. And let me ask you a question. See if it's true today. Here's what it says. Why do the nations rage? And the people plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves... And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Who's his anointed? Jesus. Saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them and in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and to the ends of your earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing, with trembling. Kiss the Son. I love that. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. When this stuff happened to the apostles, when they realized they were being persecuted, they came right to scripture and they quoted it. Because they saw themselves in a bigger picture. And they realized that you're in a battle. Verses 1 through 3. We're in a battle. We're in a battle. The nations are raging. The peoples are going to plot in vain. The rulers are against the anointed one. The son, the king. His name is Jesus. There's a conflict between the kingdom of God and the king of this world. There's a conflict that rages in our lives and outside our lives. And you're in a battle. But the good news is, is this. The only begotten son wins the battle. In verses 4 through 10, we clearly see that in Psalm 2. How does he win the battle? Jesus' resurrection, back in Acts 4.33, what were the apostles preaching with great power and authority? That Jesus was alive. The resurrection had happened. If that's true, our sins are forgiven. If that's true, death is defeated. If that's true, he wins. 
And the, the, the ending is no longer up for grabs. We know that Jesus wins. He wins the battle. I love it. it says this. He will inherit the nations. God didn't come to this earth as a baby just to give up on it. He came to fill this earth with his glory. And he's going to do it. And the nations will be in his inheritance. I don't know when. But we're a part of the story. So when you feel like your life is just broken, and it is, and it's undone, and it is like mine, and it seems like there's no hope, just remember Jesus wins the battle. That we're part of a bigger story, that we're on the winning team. So what is our response? Kiss the sun. Kiss the anointed one. I mean, come to the one who's creator of all things, redeemer of all things. Lay your life down to him. Embrace him as your very own. Bring him in near, as near as you can get, as dear as you can get to him. Embrace the sun. Kiss the sun. And I love it. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him, it says at the end of that psalm. Blessed are all those who realize, you know what? I'm going to hide in him. I'm going to take refuge in him. Here's the reality of your life and mine. This is important. If you don't take refuge in Jesus, you will try to find yourself in a part of another story. If you don't see you're a part of God's story, you're going to get lost in what the world's going to offer you in their story. And I dare to say some of you are lost now. Some of you might be lost in the story of pornography or lost in the story of materialism or, or lost in the story of trying to find a significance in a relationship, maybe apart from your marriage. I mean, we, we, try, we, we long for stories. Why, why do we go to movies? Why do we read books? We, we're created for stories. And, and sometimes we want to numb our pain. We just want to go and let me just go watch another story for a couple hours because well, I don't know why my story kind of stinks right now and it kind of hurts. I just want to watch. I just want to go to another land and be a part of, for a little while, another story. Hollywood is extremely successful because they keep projecting to us stories that we can enter into for a few hours. It can be resolved in a few hours. But it always leaves us wanting more. And it's never going to be enough. You were created to be a part of God's story. And the world's story will never satisfy you. It'll never be enough. And you'll always long for more. And the only way that the apostles were able to do what they were able to do is they saw themselves as a part of God's story. And even when the religious leader said, shut up, quit talking about this stuff, they couldn't stop. How is it with you? Do you see yourself as a part of God's story? Or are you just getting lost in another story? That's the power of the gospel. See, they had not only the, the grace of knowing the bigger God story, they also had the grace of knowing the Lord's sovereignty. This is really important. We're going to jump in the deep end right here. So just get ready. But they, they prayed, they say, when they prayed, the first thing they said is, Sovereign Lord. When the early church got news that Peter and John, that, that, that what they were told, what they do, they immediately raised their voice together. They said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them, we pray to you. They knew that God was their sovereign Lord. What does that mean? We don't use that very often. You can't miss this. It means that God is in control of all things. Really? That he's the ruler and governor of all things. The only way we can ever have peace is if God's in control of all things. Think about it. If God's not in control of one atom right now, if there's one atom outside of God's control, we're, we're deep weeds, right? All things are in God's control. Now, there's a mystery because God is in control of all things. And watch this. We are responsible for all of our actions. The truth is that there's, the Lord is sovereign over all things. I'm going to show you how he's sovereign. He's sovereign in Scripture. 
I love verses 25 through 26 because as he's going to quote scripture and quote Psalm 2, he's going to say this, who through the mouth of our father David, David penned Psalm 2, but by the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful thing that this is God's word. It came from the pen of men like Paul, men like Peter, men like Moses, men like Jeremiah. Uh, It came from the pen. They wrote with their own style. They wrote with their own technique. They wrote with their own voice. And if you really study scripture, the cool thing is you'll start hearing their style. You'll start hearing their technique. But all of scripture, because God is sovereign, was God breathed. All the scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 will say this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Here's what it's saying. God is sovereign over scripture. We have an incredible story here. It's been written in primarily two languages, Hebrew and Greek, a little bit of Aramaic. And it's been written by a lot of different things, 66 books. But there's one author. It's God breathed. He's sovereign even over his story. But there's more than that. This is more than scripture. He's sovereign over providence. Did you hear what it says? I love this. They're trying to figure out what was happening. It says, truly in this city, Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus. This happened right here. He was crucified here, whom God anointed with the pointing out the Holy Spirit. But both Herod, a terrible religious leader, and Pontius Pilate, a Roman governor, along with the Gentiles and all the people of Israel, they crucified him. But here's what it says. Verse 28, you can't miss what God's word says. And to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Oh my gosh. You know what they're saying? That the cross was part of God's plan. That Herod, part of God's plan. Pontius Pilate, part of God's plan. That the unfolding that happened in Jerusalem, that upper room, part of God's plan. Why Jesus came? He came to die. He came to bear our sins. He he came to hang on a cross for our shame and was all a part of God's plan. Herod, responsible. Pontius Pilate, guilty. Responsible. Guess what? God was sovereign over all of them. We don't use this language a whole lot, but God is in control of all things. And I I think back to uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith that reminds us that God is completely in control, including Herod and Pilate, Man is completely responsible. Ask the questions like, what are the decrees of God? Things we don't talk about, but the decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory, he has foreordaineth whatsoever comes to pass. I had to memorize that. I'm going to sing it to you in a minute. But you know what it's saying? It's saying that God's in control of everything. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy and wise and powerful, preserving all his creatures and all of their actions. It's basically saying this, God is in control of everything. Do you know that your life is unfolding exactly the way God wanted it to? How does that make you feel? Sometimes when I say, I want, I want to cry foul. I want to say wrong. I don't want it to unfold this way or that way. I I, I didn't want this in my life or that in my life. I'm sure you should say the same thing. I mean, and listen, we're still responsible for our own actions and our sin has consequences. It's it's not God's consequences, it's ours. But you got to see if you're part of God's plan, if you're a part of God's plan, you need to know that he is sovereign over everything. Everything. And if he's not, he's not God. You don't want to know him. And you certainly don't want to follow him. The only God that can give you peace, the only God that can give you joy, the only God that can give you hope is a God who's sovereign. 
a sovereign Lord. He's even sovereign over prayer. I love the fact that in verses 29 through 31, they're going to pray. But they knew, they called him sovereign Lord. Watch this. They knew that God was in control of all things, and yet it didn't stop them from praying. People often talk about God's sovereignty. If God's in control of all things, why do we pray? Well, because he's sovereign over the ends and the means that he's asked us to pray. He chooses to use our prayers to accomplish his will. It's incredible. But they knew he was in control, but they prayed with great fervency and expectancy. And what did they pray for? I love this. They prayed for boldness to speak God's word. They just were persecuted. They just were, they were, they were, they're going to be beaten. They didn't pray for comfort. They didn't pray for relief. They prayed for boldness. They prayed for boldness. And God answered their prayer. Have you ever prayed for boldness? Have you ever, ever gone to God and said, God, give me boldness to live for you. Give me boldness to speak in your name. I'm kind of afraid to, to, to come out as a Christian at, at, at work. I'm kind of afraid. I'm like, give me boldness. You see, God's sovereignty in prayer. They prayed for it and he answered them. God's sovereignty in salvation. I'm going to throw this in. It's Acts chapter 13, verse 48. As, the, as Paul is preaching the good news of the gospel, it says this. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Why do some people get the gospel and some don't? Why do some people hear and some don't? Those whom God sovereignly calls to himself hear. It's all by grace. I can never say that I'm smart enough and good enough to know that I need a savior. God gave me that grace. And by God's grace, I'm one of his. If you hear his voice, so are you. The grace, the grace of God to know the sovereignty of God. It's so important because your life is going to come off the rails so often and you're going to wonder, where are you, God? Are you big enough and good enough to handle this? He is. And lastly, the grace of being in gospel community. Having the grace to see your story in God's story is the grace that places you in God's family, God's community. The cause of the community was greater than the cause of the individual. I got to be honest with you. I read this and we read a little bit at the end of Acts 4 of what it was like. They were all of one heart and mind. They just shared everything together. I'm like, God, is that even realistic anymore? Can King's Chapel come anywhere close to that? Because I know that's what you long for. And I think the only way we'll ever get there is the cause of the community was greater than the individual. We live in the world that the individual is so much greater than the community. One heart and soul. Life was bigger and more beautiful in community. They were God's family. And that the needs of the individual were met by the community. I love it. Grace produced generosity. And one person's burdens were all their burdens. One person's needs were all their needs. That's what the gospel does. The gospel makes us one. The gospel, we have one in common in Jesus. And it makes us family. Oh, may the Holy Spirit come. May our burdens be shared together. May we live life in community. I know we're fragmented in different parts of town, but what holds us together is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. And may we honor him and live lives of generosity, lives filled for God's grace and glory. The Grinch experienced the power of heart change. That's the power of the gospel is heart change and the power to see your story and God's bigger story. Have you seen it? How is it with you as we close? I'm going to ask you three questions. 
Do you have the grace of seeing yourself as a part of God's story? Or are you desperately trying to navigate your own story? Maybe even longing for another one. Do you have the grace of knowing the Lord's sovereignty? Or are you trying desperately to rule and reign your own life and surroundings? Good luck there. Do you have the grace of being in gospel community? Are you looking out for number one, that being you? Are you living and supporting God's family? Oh, the grace of God and the grace of the gospel that allows us to see the bigger story, that knows that God is in control of all things and that we are a part of his family. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the grace that you gave to those apostles, to the early church, to see themselves in a bigger story, your story. Thank you for the grace you gave them to see Jesus as the anointed sovereign Lord, reigner and ruler of the universe and all things. Thank you for giving the grace to see that community and family was more important than individual. They just didn't hold on to their stuff tightly because they knew how tightly you held on to them. And they knew they had a heart change, not just like a Grinch where it grew, but a brand new heart that beats for you, that lives for you. God, I pray for each one of us. I pray for the one who doesn't know the greater story, that maybe is desperately trying to find life in their own story or another story around them. Oh God, may the gospel be clear to them today. May they, may they find themselves a part of your family and a part of a bigger story. And God, for those of us who, who by your grace are a part of that family, help us to quit looking for a story apart from you. Help us to drink deeply of the gospel and and God, be generous and be one and live for you. And give us the peace that comes from knowing that our God is in control of all things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.